0: Maybe seated. Good morning, church. Good morning. Um. So before I begin, I just want to name something. If you've been listening to all the scripture that's been shared of the things that have been bubbling up this morning of the baptism that we just saw, um, Nate opened by sharing that the Lord sings over us. How many of you have heard the Lord singing over you this morning? He's been sharing his love, his covenant identity that he's given you, and this love that he has. This morning we celebrate mothers, and we celebrate mothers because they model that part of the Lord. They reflect his unconditional love and his support and his relentless love that so many of our mothers exhibit. And when they don't, we have this Lord that does that. And so this morning, we are going to learn about God's unconditional love. We're going to walk with a man named Paul, who knew that love, and who walked under the shadow of that singing. And so um, we're going to continue on in our series in the book of Acts. Can you even believe it? We are in the last chapter. We are in Acts 28, and this morning we're only going to do the first 10 verses, And if you remember, we've been tracing this journey of the Apostle Paul. And Paul is on his way to Rome. But this has been a ridiculous journey to Rome. And last week, Paul got stuck in a 14-day storm out on the sea. And his boat is literally combusting. And we find him floating in the sea this morning. So Acts chapter 28 Verses 1 to 10, that's page 1741, if you're not there yet. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and they welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, And as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and he suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or to suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. This is the word of the Lord. I'll give you that. How many of you have had one of those days when absolutely every single thing that could ever possibly goes wrong happens? Like in order. So you can empathize with this. So imagine with me, if you will, that it is a beautiful Monday morning. And it is not just any Monday morning. It is the Monday morning that you are going to drive to the airport and climb on an airplane and you are headed to Florida. This is a beautiful, a beautiful day. And so you wake up full of joy and you've been dreaming about the beach and the sunshine and all your friends that are going with you. And you look over at your alarm clock and realize that it's 8 o'clock. And you were supposed to be up at 6 because your plane leaves at 9. And so you start to panic and you run up, you get up and you go to find your clothes and you realize that the outfit that you were planning to wear is still sopping wet in the washing machine because you forgot to move it over. So you put something else on and you, you run to the kitchen and you think, I have a minute for breakfast and I really want my cereal. And you pour your bowl and you open the fridge and someone that you know and love dearly has finished all the milk. <laughs> so you just you just keep going and you're hungry and you get in the car and you make it not a mile down the interstate and there are orange cones and a 20-minute detour. And you start to realize that you're probably not going to Florida today. It's a terrible day. Feels like there's just no way that, that the plans that you have for this day could ever be accomplished. And that's a little bit dramatic because in, in our text for this morning, Paul is having a significantly worse experience. He's not just traveling on a vacation that he would like to go on. See, he's on a holy, appointed, promised, called for journey. And this journey has literally been a shipwreck. Paul's plans aren't his own. They're the Lord's. See, just a few chapters ago, the Lord had come to Paul in a particularly difficult time, and he'd said, Paul, I know this is terrible, but it's going to be okay. I'm going to carry you through this because it is my plan for you to testify to my goodness, to share my gospel, to advance my kingdom in Rome. You are going to get to Rome, so stay calm. You are going to Rome. But on this journey, Paul, Paul has endured death threats. He stood trial in front of the Sanhedrin who tried to kill him. He stood trial in front of a man named Felix and a man named Festus. And neither one of them had any idea what to do with him. And so they plopped him in front of a man named Agrippa. And finally, Agrippa said, all right, I'll send you to Rome. So Paul boards a ship in the fall. And in the fall, you're not supposed to sail And he gets shipwrecked. So Paul is bobbing along in the water. He's cold and he's tired and it's raining and he's in the Adriatic Sea. And he's floating around guards who had fought among themselves about wanting to kill Paul just a few minutes before. Now they're cold and they don't know what this island holds. Because in those days, if you were shipwrecked on an island... It's highly likely that at worst case, you would have been taken a slave. And at best case, you would be begging. Because they've thrown all of their cargo over the ship. They've thrown all of their food over the ship. These people are at the most vulnerable position they have ever been in in their entire lives. They have nothing. So they float and they stumble up this beach and they're greeted By kind islanders. Luke says that they were unusually kind. These islanders make a warm fire. So that the shipwrecked passengers can warm up. And dry off. And Paul even though he has every right to just lay down by the fire and ignore everybody gets up. And he does what Paul does. And he goes and he tries to help. And he starts collecting brush And as he's reaching for the brush, a cold snake who had been warmed by the fire reaches out and snaps Paul and stays hanging there. Can this day possibly get any worse? I mean, I am not a snake person. This is my worst nightmare. Shipwreck aside if I were Paul, I would be absolutely flipping out I'd have a million questions like what kind of snake is this? What are the symptoms? How do we get it out? Luke Luke is a doctor get over here. What are we going to do about this? Like I would be freaking out and to make matters worse The islanders so the word here actually implies more closer to a, a translation of the word barbarian And luke calls them barbarian because they're pagans and because they don't speak greek Now, they're looking at Paul, who's been in the shipwreck and then bit by a snake. And they believe in karma, which means that what goes around comes around. And so they're looking at Paul and assuming, man, dude, you've had a bad day. Like, you must have done really something awful. So these islanders now think that Paul is a murderer. And who helps a murderer? I would be so mad at God at this point in the day. Like we can laugh about it now because it's a story, but God, you told me that we were going to Rome and I'm on this island and I have nothing and I'm cold and I'm hungry and I've been bit by this snake that could likely kill me and now these people think that I'm a murderer. It's not fair. It's not what you promised me. We're never going to make it to Rome at this rate. But I have to wonder if Paul was reminded of Jesus' words in John 10.10, when Jesus told the crowd that the enemy has come to kill and to steal and to destroy. I have come, said Jesus, that you may have life in the full. And this is what the enemy comes to take. Paul's been pursuing this life of fullness of the Lord. He follows the Lord's leading into everything and he walks with the Lord every step of his day. And so the enemy has come to take all the goodness that the Lord has promised to Paul and all the goodness that the Lord has coming from Paul. He came to physically kill Paul himself. That was the goal of the shipwreck and this snake. He came to steal Paul's faith and his peace of mind and his joy because no one is joyful in these circumstances. And he came to steal all that God had promised to Paul. But more than anything, I think the enemy came to destroy and to thwart God's kingdom plan. That was his goal. The enemy is bent on destroying the plans of God. Now, thankfully, I have never been shipwrecked. I've never been bit by a viper, thank goodness. But I have had seasons when my life starts to feel like one big detour that's not headed where I thought it was going to go or where I feel like the Lord is asking me to go. I remember my senior year of college. I was at Dort College and I'd spent four years working on a teaching degree. And after a particularly interesting chapel talk, I don't even remember what it was about, but it had to be good because the minute it was done, the Lord came to me and said, I've made you for ministry. And I said, Lord, what have we been doing for four years? A teaching degree is not a pre-sem degree. What is this? About a month later, the Lord started to speak to me about a tiny little island called Bahrain in the Middle East. Bahrain is not somewhere you want to hang out. It's very hot. It's a Muslim country. Sticky and humid and dark. And I couldn't understand how teaching in the Middle East had anything to do with ministry. I'm supposed to go to seminary. I'm supposed to get a degree. What, what is this detour about? It didn't make any sense to me. I felt stuck felt like I was wondering if the Lord had actually told me this or have I made this up? What are your plans, Lord, and how does this part of it make any sense? I think we've all had moments like this where the plans that we think are supposed to happen start to fall apart. Good things that feel like good gifts from the Lord are taken away from out of nowhere. Things we felt led to pray about feel like they're taking way longer than we could have ever anticipated and with every passing day they feel more and more and more impossible. We start to get impatient. We start to worry and we start to wonder and it starts to feel like the ship of our lives is being tossed about here and there. And the enemy comes and he does what the enemy does he comes to kill. And he comes to steal, and he comes to destroy. Now, if he doesn't come to kill us physically like he did Paul, he comes to kill our hopes. He takes that vision that the Lord has given you for what he has for you, and he tries to steal it. He takes that hope that he's buried deep in your heart and asked you to pray for, and he just tries to wipe it out. He comes and he steals joy and he robs us of our faith and our trust in the goodness of the Lord. And more than anything, he comes to destroy any plans that the Lord has for you to walk into for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. We find ourselves like Paul, cold and hungry and shipwrecked on some island that we never thought we'd see. And we start to wonder if we heard God right. And if we did... When's he going to move? When is this going to happen? But you know what the most surprising part of this story is? Paul is calm. Paul doesn't flip out like I would. He's not angry. He's not worried. He's not pouting. He's not making demands. He's not asking for extra food or a bigger fire. Paul has his eyes so relentlessly fixed on god and his goodness that he trusts god in the middle of any detour any layover paul's out finding brush to add some heat to this fire to warm the people who tried to murder him and when that deadly viper that reptile that lays cold and stiff came to life because of heat isn't that fascinating and bites him paul just shakes it off throws him in the fire. Paul keeps standing on this promise that I was told that I'm going to Rome. It's what I'm doing. Doesn't matter. And God uses this viper attack to bear witness to these islanders who completely switch up their worldview and perceptions quite quickly. When he's bitten by the snake, they assume that Paul's a murderer, certainly. But when the deadly bite does nothing, they assume that Paul is God. Isn't that fascinating? As Paul overcomes the deadly attack of the enemy, even pagans can see that God is in the midst of this man. Even the pagans see God. God is paving the way for his kingdom to be advanced in Malta. Now, after Paul survives this snake attack, Paul and Luke are invited to a chief official's home. I'm not going to try his name again. So they go to his home for three days of unusual kindness and hospitality. And while in this official's house, Paul hears that the official has a father who's in bed sick and dying because in those days, dysentery is something that more likely than not will kill you. That still is the case in many third world countries. But who do they send upstairs to the dying man? You got you got a doctor in the room and you have an apostle. Who do we send upstairs? They send Paul. And what is the first thing that Paul does? Luke only gives us 10 verses to record the three months that they were sitting in Malta because it was winter and they couldn't leave. But what he does say is that Paul prays. Now, we don't know what Paul prays about. Luke doesn't tell us. But based on how we see Paul acting in the rest of Acts, and how we see the Lord working, and how we see Paul's relationship with the Lord, I do think we can make some assumptions. I think that Paul probably began by giving glory to God. I think he thanked him that they made it through that shipwreck. I think he thanked him that his arm wasn't swollen up with this bite. I think he thanked the Lord for the hospitality and the kindness, and he thanked the Lord for his goodness. And then I think Paul asked the Lord what's next because that's what Paul did. And then I think he asked the Lord for gifts of healing because what happens next is Paul lays his hand on this man and he is healed. Isn't this just beautiful? The first healing on Malta happens in the house of the leader of the whole island. Because when the leader goes... Everybody follows. The Story only gets better from here because Luke says that when this happened, the rest of the sick on this whole island came and they were all healed. Now we know that Malta is about 18 miles wide and eight miles high. So we're talking over 140 square miles of people over the course of three months come to Paul, lay on hands and they are healed. And to think, these three months weren't planned. They were a detour, a layover, an obstacle. They weren't part of the original plan that Paul was aware of. But they were certainly part of God's plan. The Lord will use everything for his glory. Now, interestingly, Luke doesn't tell us that Paul did any preaching on Malta. It's the first observation I made when I read, I read when I read through this, I thought, why is Paul not preaching? It doesn't say that he preaches the gospel, and it doesn't record that many were converted, which we hear often in the book of Acts. But again, I think we can make some assumptions based on how we see the Holy Spirit operate and the apostles operate throughout Acts. Because faith is always the prequel to healing. Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. You do not get healed if you do not have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior we can make the assumption that this entire island is healed and set free from, from their illness and from their state of brokenness because they are welcomed into the kingdom of God. It's been months now in our story since Paul was told that he would testify in Rome. It's been months Months of trial, months of murderous threat, months of shipwrecks and viper attacks, and three months stranded on a random island. It's also been three months of preaching, three months of teaching, of healing, of welcoming people into the kingdom of God. And now an entire island has been healed, saved, and delivered into God's arms. And I was, I was, I was reading through this text. I was asking the Lord, like, Lord, what, what do you have to say about this? What do you think about this? And all he kept saying to me was like, this is how it should be. This is it. This is a case study in the kingdom of God. It feels like a random blip of a story in a long trajectory here. But this little bit, this 10 verses is how God intended his church to operate here on this earth to be rooted deeply, to be full of faith with our eyes constantly so affixed to Jesus that we trust him even when we're bit, that we trust him when we miss our flights, that we trust him when we get sent somewhere where we don't want to be. To get to a point where when we board a plane intending to get to Florida by Monday and we're still stuck in Minneapolis by Friday, we trust that he is good and that he is something good in all things. No, I didn't want to go to Bahrain. And I was nowhere near as trusting as Paul was. I was not even close to that position. But God did a mighty work in me in that detour. And I firmly believe that I would not be standing in front of you had it not been for that detour. And I taught Muslim students, and I had the profound privileges of seeing some of them come to Christ. One of my favorite sophomores, his name was Muhammad, he now leads an inter-varsity campus group on New York University for Christ. And I give glory to God for that detour. Because if I was there for two years for one kid to come into the kingdom, he is good. Now, I don't know that before Bahrain, my life was yielded to God, like Paul's was. That might have been the first time that I actually asked him where I should go, and I let him lead, and I listened. So if that's you this morning, I believe this is God's invitation for you. We spent this whole morning reflecting on how God guides us step to step by step. We spent this whole morning basking in his love. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I have numbered your days, and I have good plans for you. Ask him. And if you are yielded to the Lord, but you're looking around going, where am I? This isn't what I thought it would be. It's not where I thought we were headed. And how do we get from here to there? I think it's his invitation this morning to look up, to trust him, Ask him what he has in this season. What are you doing here? How can we advance your kingdom now? So I woke up this morning, as the Lord often does, he woke me up with a song. And it's a song written by Keith and Kristen Getty. And as I close, um, I just want to read this over you and you can close your eyes, receive, just listen. The grace of God has reached for me and it pulled me out from the raging sea. And I am safe and I am on this solid ground because the Lord is my salvation. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. I will see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord Is my salvation. When hope is hidden in the Lord, He flowers each promise of His word. And when winter fades, I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting and in times of need, when I know loss and when I am weak, I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are good in all things. Lord, we thank you that you waste nothing. Nothing. Lord, and we thank you that you work all things for the good of you and for those who love you. So Lord, wherever we're at, would you show us where you are? Make your presence clear. Lord, and would you help us to be those who trust you explicitly. Lord, and as we surrender to you, would you show us that you are faithful. Would you encounter us with your love and with your goodness. Show us that it's good to trust you, Lord. Amen.